Hello, friends, and welcome to Pod Return to the Waking Sands. We are a Final Fantasy XIV companion podcast where we explore the lore and story of Hydaelyn and beyond. My name is Jen, and I'm joined by my co-host and researcher. I'm Levi. Hi, Levi. Today, we are entering the wide world of grand companies. Ooh. Due to the events of our last main story quest segment, everyone is knocking on our door. Everyone wants a piece of this. They do. Before we get into that, though, Jen, what happened last time? Oh, we, you know, just killed Ifrit. No big. Recap over? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So after all that business... We are back in the solar in the waking sands with Minfilia. She does her own recap, bigger than Jen's, reminding us of how we got here, from being a nobody adventurer to our recent achievements. However, fame does have its price, and on cue, three uniformed jokers burst into the solar. Jokers? Yeah, one in red, one in yellow, and one in blue. I, w- I would say that there's really only one Joker in this group. The one that continues to Jen. make... No. Oh, hilarious. The one that uh, continues to make creepy comments about how Minfilia looks. I think that's the Immortal Flames guy. It's like, oh, Minfilia, you look stunning today. Like, this is so weird. You're sucking up for what reason? Because anyway. he wants her to give us a recommendation. I guess. Or he's being a creeper. He's... I don't know. Yeah, no, it's... Weird. Anyway, I wouldn't call that a joker so much as an inappropriate er. <laughs> I'll go with joker. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> these guys are here to recruit us, the Ifrit Slayer, to their roster. Minfilia is not surprised to see the flames here, since we just worked with them on taking down Ifrit. But how did the others learn so quickly? Uh, and she gives a <clears throat> piercing <throat> gaze to Tataru. <laughs> she does not play it cool. So each of the recruiters gives us a spiel, and Minfilia is so kind to catch us up on what is going on here. So we'll take her explanation and expand on it. Grand companies are interdisciplinary forces that combine the military, technological, and economic might of their host nation. Essentially, they're a means for all productive citizens to contribute to a city-state's well-being, not just the armed forces. Grand companies came about just before the sixth calamity, the Calamity of Water. The war between Vok and Amdapur had destabilized the balance of Aether, and the learned were foreseeing the impending disaster. So people of the realm's nations entreated their government for a solution, to which they conceived and implemented the idea of grand companies. They were, of course, not able to prevent the sixth calamity, but these forces were tasked with protecting and evacuating the citizenry to safety. The idea of grand companies resurfaced with the coming of the seventh calamity, the meteor. This was the goal of Louisois' circle of knowing to convince the Eorzean city-states to refound their grand companies as a message to the invading Garleans that Eorzea would not bow down. The circle was ultimately successful in this goal, And so we are faced now with the grand companies of today. So we've got three suitors here, but we can only pick one. Oh boy. They all seem so nice. And complimentary. Except for that one guy. Ooh, Minfilia, you looking 
You looking spicy today. Mm-mm. How about you have your little person join our, our army? That's <laughs> so gross. Well, at this point, Minfilia kind of gives us uh, a hand and says, you know, the, re- the remembrance services are coming up. And I think that might be a good time to maybe assess which grand company you'd like to join. Uh, because each um, each city state, each head of state is going to give an address and maybe that'll help help you make your decision. Oh, okay, great. We'll do. So we've got to, we will travel to all three. We're going to, um, well, we're going to start in Gridenia first at the uh, Maketo Amphitheater. Then we're going to go to either Limsa Lominsa um, or uh, Ulda. So before we go, Tataru is like, you know, you've got these three places to go. You should start in Gridenia. But I just have a feeling like no matter what order you go in, that's just kind of the order that they'll be presented in because you're just kind of lucky that way. Yeah. I'm like, I know, right? That's really weird. It's weird they take such trouble to frame it like it's an option. It's not super important which order you go to them in. Sure, I guess give us the, the choice. Why not? But it talks in circles about how the events will rearrange themselves to accommodate the order of our choosing. They just want to make sure that the narrative is in line with our our uh, our player choice. If we if we decide, you know what, I'm not going to Gridania first. I'm going to go to Limsalo Mince first. And by sheer chance, that's the order they happen in. Yeah, interesting. I just had a feeling. Maybe it's like a whisper through the ether. I'm picking it up. Well, Jen, I went with Tataru's very carefully scheduled agenda because Indeed. I'm not going to disrespect her hard work and planning things out for us. I know. It's like her job. Anyway, though, each recruiter agrees to this plan and they just line up inside the solar waiting for us to return. They must be there for days while we travel to each of the three city states. We can teleport in five seconds, Jen. Oh, so they've scheduled the remembrance ceremonies like that tightly? I, I think the implication is this happening the same day. Maybe. I just thought it was weird when they dismissed the uh, the three reps. And instead of walking back out the door, they just walked to the side. I'm like, whoa, is that is that a fuck up? No, they're just they're just standing there weirdly waiting for us to come back. However yeah. long that might take us. Three days, eight hours. Doesn't matter how long. It, it, it doesn't matter. It's weird. It is. It's it's very real, though, they, in, they in the way that like... sometimes you excuse someone and they don't get the message. So they stand around waiting for you while you're trying to take care of your business, like Minfilia, for instance, in her office. And they're just standing there watching her work, I'm assuming. Yeah. Why not just go outside and sit on a bench and wait, which I think would be hilarious. Like you're walking over to the solar to check in with Minfilia, and then you've got these three grand company reps just like bored chilling on a bench waiting for you to come back before we go though we get our scions link pearl from minvilia this is the communication device that lets us talk to others in the field yep now we are perpetually on call yeah off to gridania we go gridania hosts the twin adders grand company the adders are led by khan e senna herself its name comes from the two snakes on gridania's flag those serpents, incidentally, represent the unity between the Elizin and Hir that was forged in the subterranean Gelmora. This means that the Twin Adder's symbol is somewhat exclusionary of the other peoples that have come to reside in Gerdania since then, but the tradition still holds. Gerdania's fighting units, the Wood Wailers and God's Quiver, are also part of the Adders as of the Calamity, 
meaning that Gridania has no forces that are independent of the twin adders. So we arrive in Mi Keto's amphitheater, the premier outdoor event hall in Eorzea, and listen to the audience's hubbub. Soon, the elder seedseer, Khan Isina, steps up, and the crowd quiets down. She's joined by three other seedseers, but they don't speak here. I think technically there are two seedseers and then one. Yes, you're brother right. He, he's a Bajal, is a, not, yeah. not a seedseer. Correct. He's the guildmaster of the Conjurer's Guild. Yes. Um, but they're all Pajals up there. And when you say crowd, also, that's a little generous. It is a very, it's a it's a, an intimate gathering. <laughs> well, the Gridanians are a modest folk gen. And apparently so are the Uldans and the Limsalimensons. Like, literally, it's 25 people just kind of milling about, which I thought was a weird choice. When it starts, there's just kind of, I mean, it's it's very sparsely populated, the uh, the amphitheater. Like, it, it, all of them, really. The, um, the rooms get a little bit smaller in the other two spaces, so it seems like there are more people, but it's about the same. It's not that much. So they're not really addressing, like, a large group of people. I'd call it a resource limitation, Jen. But it's just interesting because you just assume that for something like this, you know, that it's the five-year anniversary anniversary of the calamity. This is a really kind of a big deal, this remembrance ceremony. I think the implication is that there are more people there, which is why it doesn't actually pan over the entire audience ever. It'll show you bits of them. It almost does. And it's just like the, the density of the crowd. Any, anyway, it's just I, when I first played, I thought it was... It was weird that there were so few people for something that seemed like a really big deal. We'll call it a representative sample. Sure. Like, I understand, you know, limitations of hardware and whatnot. Um, it's just it's just something that bothers me. That's all. Anyway, if you're done nitpicking, Jen, do you want to carry us forward? Well, I didn't write anything down about Connie Sena's speech. What the fuck? That was like five minutes of voice acting. Correct. Well, or, okay. Um, so <laughs> what happens? Every... every different leader gives a different speech, which in a very big sense is the same, but they are portrayed very differently. Connie Senna is the biggest fart of them all, in my opinion, because she sounds like she's a narrator on a history, uh, like a history documentary, where she's reading as the camera pans over sketches and old photographs, because she has no emotion. Through great effort, they proved their worth to the elementals, and were granted a place beneath the boughs. So it was that Gridania was born some five centuries ago. It's very measured and solemn, her speech. And it focuses very much on, and, and that makes sense because of who she is. And um, not that Gridania is full of pacifists, but they're definitely focused on maintaining peace and the sanctity of the Twelve's Wood, uh, recognizing that you know, strength and unity, etc. I mean, the, the strength and unity thing, that's the thats the common thread through all of these speeches. Well, she uses the same tone of voice to, you know, send you on an errand as she does to talk about the noble sacrifice of all those who died in the Battle of Cartano and the Calamity. Yes. She is a, a one-tone person no matter what. And I think that this falls very flat as far as these remembrances go because she is so removed from the content of what she's supposed to be conveying. And also, she spends the most time just saying what happened of all the other leaders, too. Yes. The others will actually take a personal stake in it and talk about them, but she will just, in a large part, list facts about what happened beforehand. 
And then she'll list more facts about the current dangers that threaten Gridania today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then she closes with this message of unity at the very end, but in the exact same tone. So for me, this one really fell very flat. Yeah, it's definitely the least rousing of all the speeches. Um, so if they're trying to piggyback on this event to recruit this, well, I hope that wasn't their goal in Credania because this wouldn't have done it, I don't think. Unless, you know, these these are bathed in the blood Gridanians. Basically, like, Gridanians would have a different expectation. So if they're looking for a rousing speech from Kane Sena, this would probably be the most passionate speech she's ever given. Sure. Relatively I, speaking. <laughs> I agree with you there. The point of these things is, honestly, to recruit people. Not specifically to the grand companies, even though that's the case in, in our situation, but it, they're meant to rally people to move forward. She does have an effect on the Gradanians. I, I don't know, like it's hard to, to tell if this is just not portrayed well, or this is really what they're going for, was this very neutral, placid, quote, rallying speech. Sure, the Gradanians are amped up by it because they cheer at the end, and one woman's like, oh, won't you please think of the children? <laughs> we must think of the children. That's my favorite part of this this whole series of quests here is the um some of the shit that you overhear when the crowd is kind of whooping and hollering and yep. whatever. There's some <laughs> there's some weird sounds coming out of there. So anyway, yeah, I don't know if it's meant to come off this flat and it's supposed to be something or maybe they thought that this cool very kind of spiritual, serene leader was motivating in her own right. I don't know. That's that's my take on it. it, it and again, this is this is how she speaks. This is how she carries herself. This is her energy. So sure. she's being true to that. I agree. And that's why Cortania is my least favorite city-state. Fair. Among other reasons. I know. <laughs> but in contrast to the rousing delivery by Khan E. Senna, we get to enjoy the antics of the Ellison Twins peanut gallery as they criticize the speech as it's being given. This is Alphano and Alize, the same twins that came in with us on the Chocobo cart in the very beginning. Yes, their outfits have changed a bit. <laughs> they they walk up next to us to, to watch the speech or listen to the speech. In this era, they are dressed exactly the same. They are two same height, teen short Ellison with Short white hair. They have the exact same haircut. Alfino has a blue tie around his hair, and uh, Elise has a red one. She has uh, their ear cuffs are on opposite ears, and her outfit is um, festooned with a slightly different colored gem, like some of the the bedazzlements. <laughs> um, I think are kind of pinkish red, and Alfino's are kind of green, green blue. So I mean, yes, it's it's very gendered. Other than that, they look identical. But he is introduced to us when he begins talking. We don't know his name, but he uh, he is called the self-assured youth and certainly speaks like one. So he's like, um, take a look at the, the uh, what do they call it? Standard. The standard. Yeah, take a look at the standard and how it's, um, you know, the two snakes intertwined representing the unity between here and Ellison. And like, I don't know, I guess he's taking, they're, they're both taking like mental notes. And seeing where the issues in Eorzea lie so that they can start to put some uh, solutions together um, i like more the the jibes they drop oh man oh they are not pleased like connie senna mentions remembering the adventurers from the battle of cartano and she's yeah alize is like how do you propose to honor people you can't remember 
So she she speaks very rarely throughout in in all of these speeches or I guess, ceremonies. So in all these ceremonies, she's she's she doesn't say much. Um, at least not with words. She does say a lot in her body language. Just I guess sadness, disappointment, maybe a little anger. And Elfino is he's trying to maintain like the he's the professional here. You know he does most of the talking. They are I mean they are fresh out of mama's house and also elfino's voice actor here is wow yeah it's pretty rough wow <laughs> it is like dripping with haughty rich kidness it's very distracting but it does say a little bit about who these kids are or at least who alfino is or who he thinks he is who he'd like to be and it's not necessarily flattering right away and i think that's okay I love what dicks they are right now. It's so fun to go <laughs> oh, back to oh, this era. Dude, Alize, she she has she's always had my heart. She just kind of looks down in a way. And you can tell like she's got she's got thoughts, but she doesn't really say anything. Just kind of under her breath. It's great. After the introductions, the twins recap the problems being faced by Gridania for us. Devastation wrought by the Calamity, the Empire, the Ixal, and the Sylphs plus the primals that are revered by the latter two. Indeed. So that's it for Gridania. Next stop on Tataru's agenda is Uldah. Here we go. Uldah's grand company is the Immortal Flames, the same group we were just working with in Eastern Thanalan recently. The Immortal Flames were originally an elite Uldan fighting force, but they were disbanded by the Thorn dynasty. Since then, Uldah had relied heavily on mercenaries for its military might. Appropriate given the city's focus on wealth, but maybe not the most forward-thinking strategy. Uldah's grand company took on the name Immortal Flames to rekindle pride and patriotism from Uldah's past. Its symbol uses the Uldah flag, a scale that shows a jewel representing wealth in perfect balance with a flame representing might. Their leader is General Ralban the former Alamegan gladiator that gained the Sultana's favor. The flames are unique in that they are not led by that city-state's leader itself, which is probably a smart move to not divide focus too much and also to put someone in charge who actually might be more specialized to the task. Correct. Um, and it's great that the Sultana, I don't know, I think it says something about her and her leadership style, um, that she is... Um, you know, happy to let somebody who is maybe better at something <laughs> than she is go ahead and do it. Um, Connie Senna should take notes. I feel like uh, who would have been like okay, so who in Gridania besides Connie Senna? If she was like, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna be upstage. I'm gonna be representing the Seed Seers and uh, Gridania as a whole on stage. But I want the person, you know, like the MC of the ceremony to be blank. Like who would that be, and who would be really good at it? Good at it, I don't know. We've met Bo Lord Lewin so far. He's not very charismatic either. Mother Mune. <laughs> yes, honestly. <laughs> as far as charisma goes, for sure. Um, um, how about uh, Beaton? <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> All right. Can you imagine? Oh, goodness. We're going to build our way out of this mess. Yeah. And if we don't, I'm going to cut all your heads off with my saw. Boom. Final note on the Immortal Flames. The Uldan cell swords, mainly the brass blades and stone torches, are part of the Grand Company's command structure. 
So, we arrive in Ulda and head to the Chamber of Rule for its remembrance. Yep, look for the uh, fancy carpet, and that's where the ceremony will be. I think it's just literally right outside the gate to the, uh, right outside the chamber doors. Just in that, in that walkway there. And again, a humble crowd. Okay, yes, you've already picked on the crowd size. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, that would have been fucking amazing if they gave the speech from, like, the center of the, uh, the Coliseum. With just, you know, the seats just packed and people cheering and like, Ulda, Yes! For the, you know, the might of Thanalan or, you know, we turn sand into gold. Something like that. Anyway, though, that said, Rauban could give a speech in a porta potty and still be fucking impressive. And he is. He is. He is passionate. He, like, you can see how this man rose to the ranks of the gladiators back in the day. This man has presence. I remember when... I was watching Asmongold and when he first started Final Fantasy fourteen and some of his VODs and I was watching him like create his character and start a thing and I remember him doing this series of quests and he was like, I don't know who I'm going to pick. I'm going to go and listen to all the speeches and choose his opinion. Not that like, you know, his is the end all be all, but I think it's just funny that he agrees with you that Connie Senna was like, Bleh. but then he heard Raban's speech. He's like, yeah, this is it. These are my people, but like, yeah, yeah, like if you're if you're using this the ceremony speech as uh, as a clue to who <laughs> who to join up, you couldn't possibly you'd have a hard time denying that this is this seems like a really impressive organization. I want to work for under this man, Raban. And <laughs> so the the twins are there again, doing in Alfino is doing his little dissection of the standard and what the colors represent and the symbology or the symbolism. During Rauban's speech, he says something like, none spent more in gold and blood than Ulda. And that is how the 7th Imperial Legion was laid low. And there's much cheering from the crowd. And Alfino is mildly appalled at this revisionist history. He's like, oh, is that how it went? Yeah, totally ignoring contributions of the Warriors of Light. There's no mention of them whatsoever. Ignoring the contributions of the Circle of Knowing, as they were known then, and uh, how they were praying to the Twelve and Louis Soi's efforts to um, uh, imprison Bahamut once more in a desperate attempt to save the realm. You know, like, none of that. It was, you know, uh, oh, Uldan sacrificed the most and they spent the most. And that's how that happened. So, yeah, I understand why the twins are fucking upset. They are here for a very different reason than... Enlightenment. The the audience is here for. Correct. And what Rauban does is he talks about the feelings associated with the event beforehand, which is why his speech is so good. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just say what happened like Connie Senna does. He actually talks about what it made everyone feel... And how they're feeling now. And actually, he gets very political with his speech, too, because he calls out the syndicate in all but name as he goes on to decry how unfair and imbalanced Ulda is and asks, is this what we fought for and died for Mm -hmm. during the Battle of Mm Cartineau? Is this city where the syndicate keep grabbing all the money and they leave the common people and the refugees out in the cold fighting amongst one another. This is a man of the people. Where are the merciful alms of the rich? 
Where is the just steel of the righteous? I ask you, is this the great nation our brothers and sisters gave their lives to save? During the segment, we also see the Sultana looking pensive. Mm -hmm. So some foreshadowing there, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yes. Once he's done, the Sultana Nanamo gets up on his shoulder and she brings us home with some pleasantries about the wealth of Uldah being its people. Raban. Raban. And the crowd, of course, responds with great enthusiasm to this address. Long live the Sultana! One Lalafell in particular is way too into the speech. What's that? What's the... Does he say... Does, is there words or is it just like a noise? Glory to the Sultana! It's so awkward. And I think you can hear at a minimum, like, Connie Senna's voice actor and Raban's voice actor also do some crowd noises. And it's really, it's really awkward because some of these noises are, it's just like general crowd rabble, you know, like, <laughs> but there, one in particular is always so much louder than the rest. It sounds awful. <laughs> just, just general rabble from the crowd. But then all of a sudden you hear some guy go, <laughs> you feel like in that room, that would be such a record scratch moment. Everybody would stop. It's like the fucking Howard Dean yell. So we check in with the Cynic twins afterwards. And they give us the lowdown on the, the real threats in Ulda, those being the Empire, of course, the refugees, and the Amalja. So I'm assuming they're kind of speaking to us because we're a fellow traveler. We are on the same cart. So they're like, oh, hey, it's that person we know. And they're also aware that we are currently being courted by the three grand companies. Yes. And so after each ceremony, he kind of gives us a rundown and saying, like, these are all the problems plaguing the state. And I'm sure their grand company would be very happy to have you. But that message is exactly the same this, the next time. Wow, a lot of things plaguing the state. I'm sure their grand company would be happy to have you. Yeah, man, my decision isn't getting any easier, bro. Well, they can't favor one. Of course not. They're just giving you the facts, Jen. Just the facts. Just the facts, ma'am. <laughs> the last stop on Tataru's agenda is Limsa Lominsa, whose company is the Maelstrom. The Maelstrom originates outside of Limsa, in fact, with the seafaring nation of Nim. This is one of the OG grand companies that was founded during the advent of the Sixth Calamity. To delay the Calamity's floodwaters, the Nimian marines created a vast whirlpool using arcane geometries, not dissimilar to the magic practiced by the arcanists in Limsa today. Cool. The whirlpool drew the waters away long enough for much of the city's citizenry to escape to high ground. However, that same whirlpool destroyed the nation's capital. Whoa. We'll be back to Nim again pretty soon, actually, Jen. After these messages, we'll be right back. I swear that you've already done that. Really? Yes. Interesting. That's totally possible. Well, Jen's Nickelodeon pilled. Mm -hmm. Anyway, though, this legacy of the Maelstrom is what Limsa is inheriting today by claiming their name for its own. Today, it also uses the same standard as Limsa Lamensa, which is the black ship on a red field. So the crimson standard representing the blood of the fallen and the black pirate ship, because that's Limson history. The Maelstrom is primarily a naval force, unsurprising given it's Limsa. The navy includes both the Crimson Fleet, which is the official navy, and also privateers whose ships can be commandeered in times of need. However, 
Limps's guard force, the Yellow Jackets, are a completely separate entity from the Maelstrom, and so function just for domestic protection. Right. And hassling newbie adventurers. Apparently. We arrive in Limsa and take the elevator to the stateroom where Admiral Merrill Vib will be hosting the Remembrance. Have we ever been in this room before? I don't think so. We have if we are Limsing characters. I see. Well, it's a it's not a huge room, but it is somewhat full. And uh, Merrill Vib steps up and in front of her is like this steampunky collection of what I assume were like, quote unquote, microphones, you know? Like at a at a news like a press conference podium, but they look like a bunch of like big metal ear horns all just kind of piled together. It's it's pretty cute. So she begins her speech. Again, this is this is also quite passionate and um, you know, inflamed in all the right ways. I'd call this more of a memorial than a motivational speech in a way. And chock full of merry time analogies. Of course. But she really focuses on the losses that Limsa sustained in the past to its fleet, to its people, and to the city itself. It has been five long years since the calamity struck. Five long years of tireless rebuilding. Yet still the wounds of the calamity fester and weep. But when I stand atop the mizzenmast and gaze out upon our battered and broken vessel, I see an undying spirit. She also mentions prior to the calamity when all of Eorzea had to join in against the Garleans that she was she said that um literally everybody came together for this that include you know from the maelstrom to the bloody executioners which is incredible knowing what we know of the bloody executioners and how like anti-establishment like that they're most anti-establishment but here they are joining the fray I think that spoke, you know, for her to mention that, I think that that speaks a lot to the importance of unity and how we've done it before, we can do it again. I was, I didn't notice that the first time, but I, I don't think the, the I really knew of the bloody executioners. Sure. So this time I do. And I'm like, ooh, ooh, okay, that's huge. Good job, guys. Speaking of naval metaphors, one of her closing remarks is that a crew without unity is no crew at all. Tis but a mass of drowned men. So the overall message of her closing is that the Limpsons must unite and they will all endure these hardships together. Alphano is particularly cutting during this speech. He actually straight up disses the Limpsons directly mid-speech about how their love of independence is just like that of the Beast Tribes who are they are so mortally opposed to. Right, yeah. So they love freedom, but it's bought at the expense of villainizing and marginalizing their neighboring Beast Tribes. So just cutting right through to the heart of the matter, to the reality of the situation, would not be effective in a, you know, speech intended for unity and recruitment, but important information nonetheless, calling out their hypocrisy. So we get the twin report afterwards, and we learn that the kobolds and Sahagin, with their associated primals, plus the empire, of course, are the primary threats to Limsa today. And then before they can deal with them, though, they have to solve the division within their own ranks between exactly. the old guard and the new united Limsa Limsa. Yeah, it's a state of pirates. So there's a lot of, like like we saw in our, all of the job quests we had in in uh, Lenosia, the difficulty in assimilating these, all of these myriad pirate factions um, and all their infighting and the resistance to change and all of that jazz. And at the end of her speech, you know, 
the audience erupts in applause and cheering, and over the over the din, you hear this guy go, "Where's me cutlass?" <laughs> it's just, it's so loud. <laughs> As we leave the final event, Minfilia pings us on our new link shell. Our first experience being on call. Boop boop. She's tired of the Grand Company recruiters clogging up the solar (laughs) and wants them out of there. Please come back and give them an answer so they can go home. Okay. We return to the Waking Sands and we give them our decision. Jen, (sighs) who did you decide on? I went with the Order of the Twin Adders. Interesting choice given your feelings about the experience. What drove that decision? The fact that I started in Gridania. I feel a loyalty. Like we discussed, I think that the Uldan event was hands down the best as far as the, the content and the delivery goes. Yeah. But I did Ulda for my first playthrough, so I went with Limsa instead. Nice. Also, same. Like, my first playthrough was Ulda, so I wanted to change it up. As we ruminate in the Waking Sands, though, the action jumps over to Alphano and Alize, who are at the quicksand in Ulda, also recapping matters from these ceremonies. And they're escorted by two other jokers, these big Rogadin who are wearing black suits and red gloves. We don't see them fully in this cutscene. We just see their profiles and their gloves as they loom behind the twins at this table. Mm -hmm. And the two twins are, of course, dissecting these events in full. Alize criticizes them as being no more than standard waving rallies. I mean, yes. Like, yes, they were. Along with that, she says that the, the, the Calamity and the Seventh Umbral Era were barely even mentioned. I think the only mention maybe was Connie Senna. I mean, of course, the, the Battle of Cartineau is one thing, but the Calamity is something else entirely. Alfino mentions, you know, Alfino responds saying, well, yes, of course, these were standard waving rallies. That was kind of the point. And, and also, nobody mentioned the Warriors of Light. Like, at all. And that seemed like a very conscious decision by all three heads of state to not mention them for some reason. I mean, he's right they didn't mention them. As far as the reasons why they didn't, you know, or, or if, whether it was a conscious decision or not, don't know. Um, but they didn't mention them. I'm assuming yes, because Alphano is very politically minded. Mm. And he explains to Alice that the wounds from the Calamity are still fresh, and right now people need to look forward more than look back. Right. He thinks they're trying to avoid dwelling too much on the pain of the past, but to take steps towards writing the future. 100%. But yeah. this pisses Alice the fuck off. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. No, she's, I mean, she has her fucking ideals, and she is heavily motivated by this this sense of justice and righteousness, and that will persist forever. And that's why she's so fucking amazing. Alfino is a little less self-assured despite him being introduced to us as self-assured youth maybe that self-assurity is like a little misguided at this point but alize i mean her her soul is is true and like she has this vision of how the world should be and it can be this way and i'm going to instigate that shit and that's kind of what she says to Alphino before she runs away (laughs) so she slams down on the table oh her her line here is great yells our grandfather would never entrust the fate of the realm to despots who rewrite history to their convenience oh yeah oh yeah alice runs off being tailed by the two bodyguards (laughs) (laughs) and Alphino stays here looking smug and oh and all all knowing all superior Mm -hmm. at one time we we shall see eye to eye implying that 
she will see things the way he does. Yes. Eventually. They both want to, quote, cure what ails this world. But Alphano is more interested in a political path involving Eorzea's power players, while Alice is going to go and find another way to see what she wants come into being. Yeah, I think Alphano intends to start at the top and Alize wants to start at the bottom with some grassroots stuff. Because Alphano definitely is more like diplomatic. And he thinks, you know, I think he has a little bit too much faith in the system at this point. Um, so that's maybe why he decides to go. At least that's my impression, is that, um, you know, he's going to, to, to talk to the people who, the decision makers, and has faith that they will act in the best interest of Eorzea. Well, they both have growing up to do. Oh, yes. So. <laughs> it, it's pure idealism. Um, but there they are. Back in the Waking Sands, we give our answer to the officers, after which we are summoned to that company's office in their respective city. We pop over there, we stroll up to the counter to fill out the paperwork, and then a private rushes up to report that a disaster is happening. This is conveniently happening on the home turf of the company we join, in my case, Lower Lanosia. But we learn that Imperial forces have fired on a high wind skyways airship, and it's going to crash land. Which, okay, this is kind of a big deal. Airships do not grow on trees. Also, this was a civilian airship that was shot down by Garleans. Like, fucking awful. So, because the... Um, each grand company's forces are so stretched thin with tribe stuff. Every single force is so tied up that we have so to tied jump up. in. We got to do it. Before we're even on the payroll. Yeah. Like, ooh, I know we haven't enrolled officially, but if you could help us out. This is highly irregular. <laughs> Story of our lives. Yep. <laughs> but the area is likely to be swarming with Imperials, and we need to find any survivors fast before the Empire finds them first. Here we go. So we hustle to the crash site and find an airship crewman, a goggle-wearing Rogaden with blue skin and short gray hair. It's like silver and gold hair. Great. Seriously, yeah. It's silver and gold. Is he a silver fox, Jen? To some. We don't know how old he is. <laughs> um, we probably do, actually. I, I'm assuming like mid-30s, and uh, I think you have to be over 60 to be considered a silver fox. The crew member is taking cover and surveying the crash airship, which is already being swarmed by Garleans. This is probably our first time being face-to-face -face with the Empire. Unlike the officers, though, the rank-and-file troops don't look like anything special. No. They're wearing their dorky little pot helmets and their black and red tunics and wielding just regular-ass analog weapons, like bows and spears and shit. Yeah. <laughs> the crew member questions our identity and accuses us of being a spy. <laughs> <laughs> he, he totally does like a like a karate stance. Like, Hoo! are you a girly and spy? And we're like, no. And at that moment, we have uh, a couple of wood whalers show up. Grand company officers, Jen. Sorry. Grand company officers show up and uh, like, what's the situation here? And boy, is that guy embarrassed. They mentioned that the craft belongs to the Garland Ironworks. And we learn while we're watching the patrolling Garleans, that this is the first craft that was built by the Ironworks since their leader, famous Sid Garland, the former Garlean engineer that defected to Eorzea. This was the first thing they built since he went missing during the Calamity. This is the Little Bronco. <laughs> it's really cute. Uh, there's some talk about how Garland's treachery knows no bounds. From um, the Imperials, Yes, let's clarify. 
uh, they're all standing around looking at this downed airship, you know, trying to figure out what the fuck do we do. That's because the Ironworks mission is to essentially put Magitek in the hands of the Eorzeans. Right. So they're trying to balance the scales to some extent by giving this tech to the Empire's enemies. And that's why they decide to basically take it apart and take it back with them. Unfortunately, one of the engineers is still on board. So now we got to go in and rescue him. And also make sure that the, the airship stays with us. We can see in the cutscenes little red and black onion-haired Lala peeking over the railing of the airship. Oh, he's so cute. Well, he, no, he's cowering behind a like a beam of some kind. As we're hiding and checking out the scene, the Grand Company Lieutenant takes charge of the situation. We're not going to let the Imperials come and, and take the airship back with them. We're going to take it back for ourselves. If they want an Eorzean souvenir, it won't be an airship. No, it'll be a knife in the gut. Nice! <laughs> Fuck yeah! This is when we have to launch the ambush. And we come running out from our hiding spot, and the uh, Imperial soldiers are like, Oh, fuck! Time to, time to, time to fight! And we do. So we fight them. Um, eventually, a, uh, they, they've got some backup guys that come out, as well as this enormous Magitek vanguard. These other guys, they have got, you know, bows and staffs. But then all of a sudden, Vanguard, <laughs> which is like 18 feet tall. Yeah, and it's pretty in- yeah, intimidating. This, this, yeah, this is our first first fight with something like this. This is crazy. This thing is a automaton, a robot, essentially, with a very bulky bipedal frame and two drills for hands. Mm-hmm. Pokey. It's used for military applications all the time, but it's like a construction tool because its main move is the, the Cermet drill, which is like... The, um, obviously the cement equivalent for right. the Garleans. I guess they have a dual purpose construction automaton and also a sure. fight bot. Yeah. Why not? Por que no los dos? Maybe because there might be a better weapon than drills. Maybe they didn't think they would encounter too much resistance. So like, you know what? Take one of these guys to help sure. you lift things. I don't know. To um, drill things. Yeah. Whatever. needs drilling. We got the tool for the job. We sure do. And I guess it makes sense. It's, it's like... You know, 10 very low-level Imperial soldiers. The, this is what you get. You get the drill monster. But without too much hullabaloo, we uh, defeat everybody, including the Vanguard, and rescue a uh, little man, um, Mr. Uh, Mr. Wedge. Right. So if the Lala is named Wedge, that makes the big guy Biggs, <laughs> of course. Mm-hmm. A, a long-standing Final Fantasy duo and also a Star Wars reference, which I'm sure Jin appreciates. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I was like, Biggs and Wedge, holy shit. So after we recoup ourselves, Wedge reports that with a bit of time, the airship can be fixed. Yeah. The soldiers will stand lookout while we finish filling out our paperwork. So guess this one's a freebie for you, Grand Company? I guess. We'll, we'll, we'll put in a request for back pay. I could use some seals to buy that chocobo. That would also be nice. Back at HQ, we finish signing and swearing in, and we get to write our own vows if we like. <laughs> Jen? So we have four options. What was your oath, Jen? I, I did the, um, the basically the twin at our tagline. Woods will be done. Okay. I had, what skills I have are yours until sea swallows all. Nice. Yeah. Thematic. And we're in. All the nearby soldiers clap for us. But we barely have time to enjoy our induction when Minfilia calls us again. <sighs> Don't forget, we're still a scion. And by the way, pray return to the waking sands. 
There it is. That's where we'll end with the main story quest today. Ta-da! Before we close out, let's review the perks of GC enrollment. Ooh, so many. One, Chocobo. Uh, we also unlock Grand Company deliveries. Which are the crafting and gathering turn-ins you can do for a pile of seals and also experience. We also unlock PvP. If that's your thing. If that's your thing, yeah. So Crystalline Conflict. Uh, front lines. Front lines. Rival wings. There you go, yep. So you do that. Um, you you get more seals that way, by the way. So it's the it's the deliveries, the chocobo, the PvP. There's one more, I think. We get the Grand Company hunting log. There you go. So you got to do the log to rank up, where we hunt down specific enemies to check those boxes. Mm-hmm. Plus, we get all the swag from the GC Quartermaster. Yep. Bardings, minions. Oh, yeah. Etiquette books. Um... Ventures. Crafting mats, ventures is huge. So now you can actually buy things so that your retainer can go do things. Oh, and let's not forget, we get eventually Jin's favorite feature, Adventurer Squadron. Yay! Which is the terrible AI NPC companions you can take with you on some dungeons. Any other thoughts or comments about the Grand Company's Jin? Uh, the Order of the Twin Adder is going to fucking own you Maelstrom Jerks. Does that mean that Jen's going to play in front lines? No. <laughs> okay. Own them by outcrafting them. Yes. I know where my strengths are. Well, next time we'll be talking about the Weaver class. Oh, yeah. Weaver job, but whatever. <laughs> Looking forward to using those GC turn ins to level up Weaver. Finally. Well, that'll do it for today's episode. If you would like to get in touch with us um, to say stuff, share stuff, ask stuff, you can at podreturnffxiv at gmail.com. You can also get in touch with us via Twitter at podreturn. And we super hope that you enjoyed the episode and we will see you next time.